If you like Area 45, you're going to enjoy the Hoover Institution's other podcasts, Uncommon Knowledge, The Classicist with Victor Davis Hanson, and The Libertarian with Richard Epstein. Subscribe now to the Hoover Podcast at hoover.org slash podcasts. That's hoover.org slash podcasts. Hoover Podcast, ideas defining a free society. Hello, it's Wednesday, January the 24th, and welcome to Area 45, a Hoover Institution podcast examining the policy avenues available to the 45th President of the United States. I'm Bill Whalen, a Hoover Research Fellow. Joining me today in studio here on the campus of Stanford University, David Crane. He's a lecturer at Stanford University and co-founder of Govern for California, a network of political philanthropies. He also served as a special, as a, as a special advisor to former California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger for job growth. And in the California 2018, David Crane is Diogenes. You are holding the candle and asking, where is an honest man? David, thanks for coming on the podcast. Do you like Diogenes? Does that work for you? <laughs> it works just perfectly fine, Bill. Thank you for having me here today. It's a pleasure. My pleasure. We're going to talk about California more so than Trump today. We will draw the nexus between the two. But I want to talk about the causes that you're into right now, uh, Govern for California, plus also how you got involved in public policy. Your background is in finance, correct? That's right, yeah. But my avocation well before I even got into business was politics. Ever since I was young, I wanted to do something in politics and policy. My plan was to spend maybe 10 years in business, make a little bit of money so we were secure, then go into politics and policy. I ended up spending 25 years in business. I liked business. It was fun. And then finally, when I turned 50, I said, I better burn my ships now or else it'll never happen. And I announced to my business partners I'm leaving that year, and it was completely serendipitous that that was the year of the recall election in 2003. And I had known Arnold Schwarzenegger since the 1970s, and he said, what, will you help? And I said, sure. And I happened to be a Democrat, but he and I saw eye to eye on virtually every policy. And, um, and I go up to Sacramento with him as special advisor, thinking that I know everything about state government and right. learning very quickly that I knew next to nothing. Right. Okay, so surprise number one. What's surprise number one? that the legislature is truly a co-equal branch of government. And we should all know that. I mean, Article One of the U.S. Constitution is Congress, and Article Two is the executive branch. The right. same thing is true in California. Article Four is the legislature. Article Five is the executive branch. You go up to Sacramento, you think the governor has all this power, and you find out it's not like being a CEO, not even close. It's more like being chairman of a committee where you have veto power that they can override on occasion. And you can do a few things on your own. But in general, if you want to get anything done, you need the consent of 41 people in the Assembly right. and 21 in the Senate for majority vote. And you don't know much about them, but three groups know everything about them. Uh, the groups that know everything about them are those who feed at the state trough. Mm -hmm. Those are government employees who get roughly 50 cents of every dollar. And healthcare corporations who get more than 20 cents a dollar. They know the names of every legislator. They know those 41 and 21 you need. Um, the, uh, the crony capitalists, those who use the legislature to create moats around their businesses so that they don't have to compete on a fair level playing field, they know the names of every one of them. And those that are regulated by the legislature or who don't want to be regulated by the legislature, they know the names of everyone. And it's, it's a stunning realization that people that hardly anybody you know pays much attention to have all this power, but that's the way it's supposed to work. Right. Now, Arnold Schwarzenegger had a lot of leverage in his first year in office. He came in there, and the legislature was afraid of him. This was somebody who received almost, I think, 48% of the recall vote, close to 50%, came out of nowhere and had a bully puppet, unlike that of the guy I worked for, Pete Wilson or Gray Davis or George Duke Magian or even Jerry Brown in his first turn as governor. This was a very unique creature. So 
there was an opportunity for him to do things if he decided to go fast. And indeed, he eventually went to a special election. He gambled big and he, for the most part, lost big. But there was an opening. But you go into Sacramento with him and you recognize the opportunity. But a lot of things that you're interested in, that he's interested in doing in terms of business reform, they end up on the rocks and shoals of state government, right? Yeah, that's right. And what he learned, I mean, first of all, he did uh, early on, you, it's a long time ago now, but in yes. 2003, one of the biggest issues was workers' compensation. Right. And he got workers' compensation done through the legislature, although he had to threaten an initiative to get that done. That's right. But all the other things that you wanted to get done, if you were going to really move the needle of pension reform, uh, it was no longer, it's not as, it's more important now, but Medicaid reform, and so that healthcare spending actually produces better health, not just greater wages and profits for the providers. All that sort of stuff needs the votes in the legislature. Those things are not easily susceptible to an initiative. Right. And when Governor Schwarzenegger went to the initiative process, I mean, it's no secret, not that I mattered, but I was opposed to everything he, he proposed in that regard, not because I thought they would all fail, but because what they proposed would not solve the problems. Right. A spending cap doesn't solve the problem. Moving to defined contribution plans would not have solved the pension problem. You need the legislature right. to get through these difficult problems. And it's an amazing realization. It's where I devote my attention to now. Right. Now, you're a Democrat. I am. But you spent time in Sacramento saying a lot of things that Democrats would consider heresy, correct? Yes. And for this, you were treated rather roughly at times. Uh, for example, you sat on the board of CalSTRS, right, which is the state pension for teachers? Correct. And what happened in that position? Uh, I got removed by the state Senate from that position. So first of all, let me back up and say one thing. I, I came of age when John F. Kennedy was president. I mean, I'm 64. I wasn't really paying that close of attention when I was like eight or nine. Right. But later on, I definitely paid attention to what the Democrats and what they were like because I saw my party moving away from me as I got older. And, uh, uh, you know, John F. Kennedy, I'm a JFK Democrat still. You know, many people don't remember this, but your listeners probably will. The number one issue in 1960 on the Democratic platform was the missile, missile gap. gap right. It wasn't true, but still they were pro-defense. The number two issue was anemic economic growth. And Kennedy was the largest author of, of a tax cut, cut the capital gains in 62. Tax, right. And then number three was civil rights. I am that kind of Democrat. Right. And I'm still waiting for my party to come back to me. Exactly. So here I am in Sacramento, and I get appointed to the board of the state teacher's retirement system by Governor Schwarzenegger. And I'm financial. I know something about defined benefit plans. They present the math to me at one of our first meetings. And I was like one of those cartoon characters who couldn't believe his eyes. He's rubbing his eyes. And I'm saying, wait a minute. You're discounting liabilities at twice the rate that they should be discounted at because these are owed come hell or high water by the state. And you're assuming an investment return assumption that basically requires the stock market to double every eight or nine years forever. It's not going to happen. But this is 2005, mind you, when I'm saying this. And I said, but everything will be fine if you just assume a 6.2% investment return assumption, base your contributions on that, fully fund at that rate, right. you will be fine. 11 months later, the state senate removed me. And uh, this is when I learned, I was very naive about democratic politics. This is when I learned that my party was completely controlled by largely the government employee unions, who are not bad people, but it's a business for them. It's very big revenues, and they are going to keep and fight hard to keep those revenues coming, and they prevailed upon the legislature to remove me. And the governor also appointed you to the UC Board of Regents. Correct. And the same thing happened there, but that time, we knew I would be removed. By the time that Governor Schwarzenegger appointed me there, it was just before he left office, we knew I would never be confirmed by the state Senate. Right. 
uh, the, le- the, the question was going to be whether the next governor, Governor Brown, was going to keep me there. He could have removed me immediately, and he left me there for the full year. And then you go off quietly if the legislature doesn't act. And I w- learned a lot. I mean, the reason I wanted to be appointed to the regents was because it's a separate corporation, and right. I wanted to get the math. Right. And I got all the math. Right. Did they hold a hearing for you? They did not, because that would have only happened if the state Senate would have called me up to remove me. And I think they learned their lesson from the first time around that it was probably better not to give me that platform. Because my hearing was I never could have gotten anything more done on the Calstro's board. I was always outvoted 10 to 1 on whatever I wanted to do, whether it was using a reasonable investment return assumption or a reasonable discount rate. So that wasn't going to change. So the hearing at least gave me a platform to discuss these issues where I could look at my fellow Democrats who sat there in judgment upon me there and say to them, you cannot be progressive, which they all claim to be, and be opposed to pension reform. You just can't. The math won't work. And you're going to crowd out the very programs you all claim to protect. And so that was a useful platform in a way, not that it changed anything. When did you launch Govern for California? In 2011. So because we learned, or I learned, that uh, nothing would change unless you changed at least a few people in the legislature. So you can get to that 41 and 21. Right. Uh, I, I personally resolved that I would help in changing the rules under which they're elected. And so I assisted Governor Schwarzenegger on his political reforms, in particular top two primary. Mm-hmm. Uh, top, you know, I was a supporter of independent redistricting as well. But I spent more time on top two primary because in a state like California that is blue, it's very much about shade of blue. I am a Democrat, and I'm not, you know, I'm a Democrat who is not partial to the government employee unions. That shade of Democrat in the legislature can do the right thing. So the voters approved top two primary. They approved independent redistricting. And the third leg of that stool is then to finance good candidates for the legislature. So in April of 2011, I formed Govern for California to be a network of political philanthropists to finance high-quality legislators. A good example is the governor of Rhode Island, Gina Raimondo, is is sort of a model for our Democratic legislators here. And we have been very successful. We've won 20 elections since then. We now support, to greater and lesser degrees, 40 members of the state legislature. And we'll be around for as long as it takes. So from a California perspective, what is a good candidate for this state? What are you looking for? So I, the other, one of the other things I learned, uh, in addition to the legislature having all this power, is that it's a really big job, right? right. The, the state will spend $300 billion this year. They write the education code, the criminal code, the business and professions code, the environmental code. They will decide whether they're going to improve people on the CalSTRS board and the UC Board of Regents, all these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. They consider up, up, upwards of 5,000 bills a year. Last year, they considered 2,700. They passed 1,000. The governor signs 85% of those. Most time, most neither Bill Whalen nor David Crane from the outside can know everything about what they're doing all the time. Mm-hmm. So who do you want there? You want representatives who are like Abe Lincoln. You're looking for Abe Lincoln there. People, in my view, they have to meet five tests. Mm-hmm. Intelligence, financial literacy, which I learned when I was up there that the only financial literacy that was prevalent in the legislature was with respect to campaign finance math, but no other math. I mean, mm-hmm. One example is states are allowed to use cash basis accounting. They're not required to use accrual accounting. Most of them don't even realize what that means and what it's allowing them to do, which they think is normal. You need the right legislative temperament there. So it's not like being in business where I come from business. It's a world in which anytime you want to get anything done, you need the consent of 40 others in the the assembly and 20 others in the state senate. Mm -hmm. 
if you're one of the other members there. And that's a really hard world to navigate in. Mm -hmm. You need the ability to win. We don't want to waste our time with someone who can't win. And then the last thing you need, the fifth one, is courage, by which we mean ultimately they care about something greater than themselves over which they have authority in that state legislature. I would add one more to the list, David, is that you need more Republicans in legislature. I'm not saying this is a partisan hack, but simply if you have a more balanced legislature, it's going to cause more deals between the two parties, in theory at least. And you've criticized your own party here for a few minutes, and now's your chance to criticize the California Republic existence. Why aren't there more Republicans in the legislature right now? Well, this will get, so first of all, we are nonpartisan. Right. And in, on our slate this year, we have three Republicans. Mm-hmm. and. This ought to give you a, uh, an indication of how badly the Republican Party is performing for their legislators. Now, my organization is the largest non-party financier of Republican candidates for the state legislature. Right. Um, and it's, it's run by a Democrat. Um, so I'm, I'm completely fine with good Republicans. And uh, uh, good Democrats, good Republicans, it doesn't matter. The Republicans, from my perspective in California, have been like in a circular firing squad where they pay attention to everything that really matters, everything except for that that really matters, which is electing really high-quality legislators, state legislators. So the Republicans, from what I can tell, are always worried that they don't have someone who's going to win on a statewide race, governor, lieutenant governor, something like that, and they think it's bad for their brand name. When I don't think they're not going to win that right now. What would be good for their brand name is if they had Republicans in the state legislature, like, for example, Kevin Kiley, Mm -hmm. Assembly District 6, a brilliant young Republican who we help support, Catherine Baker, another excellent Republican that we help support. Right. Uh, we're helping Mark Kersey, who's running in Southern California, against another Republican. Those sorts of Republicans really do res- represent most Californians. Most Californians, I think, are like me. They are fiscally sane and socially not insane. Mm-hmm. They, are, they are Democrats and Republicans, people who, do, who believe in spending money properly and generally believe in letting people live their lives the way they want. If if you elect more Republicans like that, the Republicans will do better in this state. Okay, one thing you do that I like is you write emails. You send out emails about once a week or so, cranegrams. And they're essentially op-eds, but they're in an email form. And you write about a topic about California. I'd like to go through a few of these now and have you explain. One you did last Saturday, you wrote about the California shutdown. This is while Washington was at an impasse over the budget, but you talked about there being a California shutdown. David, what were you getting to? Yeah, it's it's a great tragedy in California in a number of ways. I mean, Donald. everybody knows what Donald Trump tweets, and everybody knows what's going on at the federal level, and no one is paying attention to what's happening right in front of them. And you and I both know in our federalist system that state governments are more important to domestic services than any other government. Mm-hmm. So while they're focused on the federal shutdown, which wasn't even as much of a shutdown as I'm about to describe, Right here in California, in the eighth year of a bull market, after a 30% tax increase, we have school districts who are devoting only 29% of their budgets, less than a third of their budgets, to salaries for certificated teachers. Like San Francisco, where I live, and there are 55,000 kids in that school district, they will devote only 29% of their budget to salaries for teachers because pension and retiree health care spending in that district went up 106%, more than doubled in the last five years. That is a shutdown. So they can have the doors open, but they don't have the classrooms filled with enough teachers. Mm -hmm. They don't have it filled with enough specialists, and they can't pay those teachers and specialists enough money to live in a city like San Francisco. And it's because they're diverting the money before it even gets to the classroom. They're diverting it to pay unfunded retiree health care and pension costs. That's a shutdown. 
And it's not just San Francisco, LAUSD, San Jose. In fact, in the biggest cities, Oakland, San Diego, where you have the largest minority populations, you know, so this is like right after Martin Luther King Day, those are the locations of the largest shutdowns affecting the poorest and, most, and minority citizens of California. Not enough Californians understand that. Okay. A few days before that, you sent out a crane gram and you talked about the state's rainy day fund. And you went through the numbers and the math and explained how the state is not ready for a recession. Yeah, not even close. If we were to have a recession like we had in 2001 mm -hmm. or one like we had in 2009, right. it would be worse now than then, even though, to his credit, Governor Brown has led the legislature and the voters to create a rainy day fund, which today has $8.5 billion in it and which he wants to fill to $13.5 billion this year, yeah. which sounds like a lot of money, right? But. But. In the next recession, and Governor Brown admits this in his budget, mm -hmm. that the next um, slowdown uh, will produce, uh, will, will reduce revenues by $20 billion a year. And the average recession in state revenues lasts three years. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about $60 billion reduction in revenues in the average recession, and we will have set aside a grand total of $13.5 billion. So it's not so much of a rainy day fund as a drizzle day fund. You know, it's, it's not nearly enough. If they were to create a $60 billion rainy day fund, that would work. The other approach, of course, is to create a tax system that isn't so perfectly correlated with the stock market. Right. You're getting to my next one, which you wrote about a few days before that. You talked about the Dow going past 25. It went past 26,000 the other day. We have a state budget that is far too dependent upon capital gains. Yeah. It's, it's a remarkable thing that uh, if everybody were to look at a graph and look at the relationship between California state revenues right. and the stock market, and then in addition, the relationship between those two lines and the popularity of the governor. Right. So you may remember, Gray Davis was like on the cover of Time Magazine in 1999 as a potential presidential candidate yes. because things were flying high in California, and three years later, He's recalled. The, he the headline was America's Most Daring Governor. Is that right? Was it? Written by Steve Lopez, who is now a Los LA Angeles Times. Times columnist who spends a lot of time criticizing California. Yeah. So he was on the cover, right? And then right. Uh, uh, Governor Schwarzenegger comes in, mm -hmm. and, you know, he's doing so well as the housing boom is happening and the stock market's climbing in 2006 that I think Time Magazine had him on the cover saying, right. let's change the Constitution so he can run for president. Market drops. By the time he leaves in 2010, he's probably at 25 percent. Right. Governor Brown has governed only during a bull market. The market has doubled since he's been there. It's tripled since 2009. Doubled since he's been there. He's had a 30 percent tax increase, and his popularity is up there with the revenues. Right. And it's on the cover of magazines being hailed as a That's right. great, great example of America. What is your read on Jerry Brown? You've watched him for a long time now. Obviously, you've seen him run the state for the past seven years. He's done some things which you would applaud. He took a run at pension reform. I would argue that he overstates what he got done and explain, explain why, if you agree. Do you think he's been a good governor? Well, I think he's been a better governor than other Democrats. First of all, I don't think a Republican could have done any better. If you can look at what's going on in Illinois with Bruce Rounder as sure. governor, if you have a legislature that is run by somebody else, you are not going to get things done. Right. So he's been a good custodian in a sense, given the nature of the legislature he's dealing with mm -hmm. and the speaker and, and the pro tem that he was dealing with in the Senate. And the net result is, is that uh, he stopped things from being much worse, but he's very cautious, as you know. So he, when he did his pension reform in 2012, he didn't do serious pension reform. He did reform that only affected new employees, and it really doesn't change the math. But give him credit, included in that reform was a, uh, a change to the spiking rules. 
And those spiking rules are what the unions have been suing about. And that is what's given rise to three cases on their way to the California Supreme Court addressing the California rule. And I don't think that would have happened without him doing it. Now, I had said to him in 2012, not that he was going to listen to me, that instead of doing his tax increase then, he first should have cut deals with the unions, including pension reform, and then done the tax increase, which is the way you'd normally do it in business. But he said, no, he had to stabilize the budget first. So he's been cautious. He's stopped worse things from happening. But he meets the, he describes what I described at the very beginning of our discussion today. Mm-hmm. Um, rep, you know, he, he, he can stop things, but he can't actually do anything. And the net result is we've doubled the health care entitlement in the last seven years. And we've roughly doubled retiree, or, uh, retirement benefit debt. So the next recession, combined with this inc- the next drop in revenues, is going to clobber the state. So you can't say he solved any core problem. Right. Uh, are you surprised that he's latched on to climate change so strongly? Early part of his governorship, he's not talking about it, whereas Arnold was talking about it in his last few years as governor. Jerry Brown doesn't get into it. And then in his second term, he embraces it with a passion, with a wild passion. I guess I'm not completely surprised because in the 70s, he started to turn attention to environmental issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think he's political to a fault. And that's one where you're you're there's an open door and it's not like you're challenging your own party. And so I think it worked to his benefit uh, countrywide. And personally, and it's a ridiculous thing for me to say, I'm not convinced that he doesn't think he could be president. Um, So I think while he's going off to his ranch, the way all Californians seem to, and then, you know, maybe he'll be waiting for a call from the Democrats to run for president in 2020. And it won't have hurt him I suppose that he will have focused attention on that issue, but I'm not completely surprised. Okay, so we're taping this on a Wednesday afternoon, and about 20 hours from now, Governor Brown is going to give his state of the state address. You're going to be in Sacramento, actually. You you may actually go. If you're drafting that speech with him, David Crane, give me three or four things that you think he needs to t- touch on. Well, if I was drafting it, he, he would definitely not touch on any of the things that I would raise, of course, because the things I would raise were, would be we have to engage in a pension reform the way Gina Raimondo has done in Rhode Island. Uh-huh. We have to do post-employment benefit reform, which are the retiree health care benefits that are crushing LAUSD in particular. Mm-hmm. We've doubled spending on Medicaid in the last five. We will spend more than $100 billion this year in California on Medicaid. We have one out of three Californians eligible now for Medicaid, right. yet emergency room visits are up. Healthfulness is not up. Profit margins are up. And wages and, and uh, for other providers are up. You have to get more bang for that buck. I mean, roughly 60 cents, 60 percent of every, of Medicaid expenditures are attributable to six percent of the patients with chronic problems. You got to address those problems and actually make them healthier so you can cut the spending. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I would say is you got to stop giving prison guards inc- salary increases. I mean, they give them three and four years, 11 and 13 and 15. The revenues of the 56,500 employees of the Corrections Department in California, who now supervise only 128,000 prisoners. Those revenues are three to four times larger than the revenues of the largest private prison corporation in the United States. And so, you know, these are the sorts of things that most citizens don't pay attention to, but that's having a big impact on the budget. So those are the sorts of things that I would say he's not going to – his speech will say none of those things tomorrow. I'm guessing he's in his last year. He's a cautious person. I'll just tell you a story. I think this says more about him than anything else. I first met Jerry Brown personally in the 1980s. He had already run for president before or whatever. He was then chair of the California Democratic Party. Right. 
Uh, he was seeking money from me. I had made a bit of money. I was giving money to the Democrats. So he had fallen so low that he was seeking money from me. And he's sitting in my kitchen, and we're discussing politics in the 80s. And at the time, I was reading War and Peace. And you'll remember Tolstoy started off War and Peace, many chapters, with a sort of a, a discussion of whether or not history was created by great men or it was just people getting in front of a wave. So I said, so what is it, Governor? Is it history is created by great people or is it getting in front of a wave? And to my great chagrin, he said, it's getting in front of a wave. And so I, I was really, I, I was uh, distressed because I don't think Abraham Lincoln got in front of a wave, if you will. Right. So I believe that he's still very conventional in a sense, and he will look for themes that he can discuss tomorrow, which will be popular with the general population in California, and also potentially popular with the national audience. Okay, so speaking of guys riding waves, we have an open governor's race. Uh, in 2018, you have, I think, four Democrats running right now, right. at least three Republicans last time I checked. Have you looked at the field, and is there anything there that you like? Well, so, yes, uh, I've definitely looked at the field. And at Govern for California, we focus on the legislature, and we have to work with, with whichever governor wins. So we are not endorsing anybody, but we've had conversations with all of them. At least all the Democrats, Republicans, haven't accepted my invitation. Maybe you can encourage them to do so. Okay. Uh, but they've met with my network and discussed uh, issues with them. I've written about this. You know, most people pay attention to what gubernatorial candidates say, mm -hmm. which more often than not has next to nothing to do with what governors actually do. Right. So they are this educator-in-chief, mm -hmm. right? The K-12 through system in California, no matter what anybody says, they call something the local control funding formula. It's really a state-run enterprise. It's the largest business in California with 6 million customers, they're going to spend more than $90 billion this year, 300,000 teachers. They only dismiss 0.003% of those teachers in any given year. Mm -hmm. So if you really want to know what you should be talking to gubernatorial candidates about, it's what are you going to do about things like teacher tenure? They get it at effectively 18 months. Right. What are you going to do about not being able to dismiss bad teachers? What are you going to do about pension costs crowding out classrooms? Mm -hmm. But most people will not talk to their gubernatorial candidates about those sorts of things. And so when I evaluate the field, I'm, you're forced to sort of infer from them which one of them will address these issues. And you can draw an inference. You know, Antonio Villaraigosa has been an actual educa education reformer. Mm -hmm. So maybe he would take on that issue. Right. But I don't really know how all of them will address all the major issues, fiscal and otherwise, in California. Right. Let's, um, let me run a what if by you. Uh, so this, the Democratic race fascinates me. I, I should be writing about Republicans. I get a lot of grief from fellow Republicans not writing about them. But the practical matter is the open primary could produce, the top two primary could produce two Democrats. And even if it doesn't produce two Democrats, but one Democrat, one Republican, that Democrat's going to be a heavy odds-on favorite. So you should probably, if you want to be pragmatic about this, look at the Democratic field. Somebody in there is going to be the next governor of California. Gavin Newsom has a lot of union support. So that concerns me as to how he will actually govern California with a lot of special interests saying, hey, buddy, we supported you. Don't you dare do anything. But Peter Gosa concerns me in this regard, David, and that he is using this against Newsom as his wedge in the election. But what if he is elected and he goes to Sacramento? How does he actually make good on the idea of actually combating, on trying to do something 
well, like teacher tenure reform, for right. example. How does he actually do it? Because he will propose it legislature, and they'll have two words for him, and those words won't be Merry Christmas. <laughs> so how, how do you go about doing right. it? I mean, do we have to get back to the to, to Luca, Luca Brasi approach to the contract? Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. either, either your signature or your brain's going to be on this contract. I mean, right. how does a governor get this done, David, if the only option seems to be going to the ballot box to fight it? Well, first of all, uh, I would point out uh, to Republicans and conservative Democrats and independents, the top two primary gives them an enormous amount of power in the general election. Mm -hmm. And you can see the evidence of this in the races that have taken place for the legislature around the state in blue districts where the ultimate contest is between two Democrats and the, the, the votes that actually sway the outcome are quite often those from Republicans, if you can get them to vote, right. and conservative Democrats and independents. So they should look very carefully at, there's a better chance for Republican influence, if you will, right. in the outcome uh, if there's a, there are two Democrats, for the reason you said, in the general election, and Republicans turn out in a big way to vote. Right. Now, you ask, how are they actually going to get things done? Here's my view. So first of all, the vast majority of people who, once they're elected governor of California, the first thing they think about is, what do I do to become president? Now, uh, you know, some of them cannot. Arnold was prohibited from doing it, but maybe he was thinking about the same thing as well. But the, all of them think about that, right? And what does someone do if they're governor of California and they want to get elected nationally? It's really, I mean, there have been Republicans elected president from California, but no Democrats. Mm -hmm. My guess is a Democrat would sort of have to move to the middle. Maybe they have to move to the left to get the nomination, but to win nationally, you got to look like your state runs well, mm -hmm. kind of like Dukakis. In Massachusetts. So I actually believe whoever the governor is, they will sign what the legislature sends them. This is my way of saying that I this is go back to the very beginning. It's the legislature's stupid. You know, it's kind of like right. what James Carville said. If the pro tem and the if the pro tem and the speaker of the, of the legislature want tenure reform, the governor will sign it. Now, you say, well, what happens if the governor wants it, but they won't sign it? They, they don't want it? I do not think a governor can get it. I really believe no matter who it is, that governor cannot get it unless the legislature is already there. So this is where the Republicans have an enormous amount of power. So remember the math. In the state Senate, you need 21 to get to a majority. Mm -hmm. You already have 13 Republicans. So you need eight Democrats to team up with those Republicans to get to 21. Republicans need to start thinking about their ability to get things done with those shades of Democrat, and then a governor will sign, I believe, what those majorities send them. Mm -hmm. We haven't talked about Donald Trump, so let's get into Trump now. Uh, you've studied the Trump presidency. You've studied the California Democratic existence. Is their approach to Trump correct? Should they, should they be the opposition? Should they be the resistance? Should they be trying to find common ground with Trump on some issues? How would you approach them if you're, if you're calling the shots in Sacramento? Well, for, for the Democrats and others who uh, in California who, who are in office but only think about themselves or getting elected, Trump is like the gift that keeps on giving, right? So right. they can just tweet and all the rest uh, about how terrible he is, and that's red meat to their base. And this is actually a problem in the governor's race, David, because Trump, Trump could actually potentially overshadow a lot, uh, if, especially right. if a Republican-Democrat running. Trump could so overshadow a lot of serious state issues. Right. Yeah. So for those Democrats or others that are in elected office that have power who actually care about their fellow citizens, then I believe it's in their citizens' interest for them to not demonize everything that he does. In fact, I think Jerry Brown has already set a pretty good example in that regard. Mm -hmm. He doesn't demonize Trump, and he actually tries to move things forward to some extent. Uh, 
Um, so I, I, I just think that what I'm describing isn't going to happen, though. Virtually everybody running and everybody who is in office is going to keep using him as leverage to improve. Remember what most Democrats are worried about, Bill? They're worried about being primaried, right. and the party has moved to the left. The, mm -hmm. you know, the Bernie Sanders supporters dominate a lot of the parties. So most legislators are going to worry about a primary from the left, and that is more reason for them to say Trump is the worst thing that ever lived. Right. So I don't see much hope for any of them working in ways that's going to improve California's relationship with Trump. But meanwhile, the business of government goes on, and as you look at California, you can see what the federal government can and should be, can and should be doing for California, David. Okay, there's been a tax cut so far. Trump the other day announces tariffs on uh, import of solar panels into California. Things like that can affect our economy. So what should the leadership here be striving for from the federal government? What would you look at talking yeah. about the economy? Maybe. So first of all, on the economy, don't forget, it's so big. It's $2.6 trillion right. our economy is. And people forget how big and diverse it is. Even agriculture is a grand total. Agricultural production is 2% of gross domestic product. Mm -hmm. Those solar panels don't have that big of an impact overall on the California economy. The corporate tax cut could actually be very beneficial for California's economy. I, I, don't, I think for people to argue immediately that it isn't good for California's economy is a mistake. Um, so that's number one. Uh, and and uh, there isn't that much that the legislature can do in that regard other than focus on their own knitting. Mm -hmm. So, for example, they could make it easier to license businesses in California, get into business, compete. Right. In the medical field, they could make it easier for nurse practitioners to compete with doctors. But, you know, there's always a constant war between CMA, which wants to keep people off of their turf. They can do stuff like that. Mm -hmm. The stuff that the legislature and the governor should really be focusing on is how to better run their own business. So, for example, the $100 billion that we're spending on Medicaid that isn't producing better outcomes if they had more competition, they had more nurse practitioners, if they made fire stations available for Medicaid recipients, again, there are 14 million Californians eligible for Medicaid, that they can get medical care at those fire stations, that would improve healthiness and get more bang for the buck. I actually think it's running the everyday business, higher quality education for the 6 million kids in schools. That sort of thing is what they should be focusing on and improving the overall economic environment in the state for the 19 million private sector workers has next to nothing to do with what Trump's doing. Mm -hmm. uh, when is the move on Prop 13? Sooner or later, it's going to be 2018, 2020, 2022. Well, I am never good at predicting the future. Uh, when, you know, like cell phones came out, I said, why would anybody ever need these sorts of things? So the answer is, I don't know. But I will just point out, we've made, you know, our, our total tax burden in California has not dropped because of Prop 13. Mm -hmm. Our total tax burden is like the sixth highest in the country. We have a very, very high income tax, 13.3%, as you know. Mm -hmm. So it was really just a move, moving the incidence as well as the burden of taxation from one area to another. Right. Prop 13 has led to a greater dependence upon income tax. Mm -hmm. So personally, I think it would be fantastic if we had a tax system that was broader based, sales tax applied to services or whatever. Whether or not that means that they're going to go after a Prop 13, I don't really know. I do foolishly, maybe, because we're having a lot of success electing people and supporting them in the legislature, believe that within the next eight years, some pretty surprising people uh, will come forth with fiscal reforms uh, that would change the tax system that would be presented to the voters for their approval. Kind of like Nixon to China or pensions. The only place in the country where pensions have been reformed was by a Democrat, the governor of Rhode Island. So I believe it will be a Democrat and probably a pretty liberal one who does a tax reform that even you, Bill, might like. 
an offbeat question. Have you looked at the economics of marijuana? I haven't, but it's small in terms of the budget. I mean, it's going to contribute, I think, according to the governor's budget, $700 million this year, right. and we have a $130 billion general fund. It's like it's dust. Isn't it sad when we're calling $700 million? What's that? It's kind of sad when we're saying $700 million doesn't amount to much. Yeah, but, but we're, we're spending $300 billion total. But it's another stream of money coming in, and with another stream of money coming in, David, there's a question of what are we doing with it? Well, most of it is going to go to three things. Mm-hmm. Any money coming in is going to go to three things. Right. Increased spending on Medicaid without necessarily producing more greater healthiness. Increased spending on pensions, and you ain't seen nothing yet. Mm-hmm. And increased spending on OPEB, which is other retirement benefits. Those are retiree health care benefits. Mm-hmm. Those three are going to continue to capture a greater share of the budget. So no, uh, much more than $700 million. You know, the governor, as I mentioned, we've doubled retirement debt. We've added another $100 billion just in the seven, uh, last seven years. Mm-hmm. And it's compounding most of it at 7%. It's really expensive. So they have to get the costs under control. They have to a- attack Medicaid. Right. They have to attack pensions. And they have to attack retiree health care. Right. But here's a few hundred billion dollars that could have gone under a rainy day fund. Yeah. So where's that money going to come from? Oh, to attack those things? No, just to, to sock away. We've talked about California needing $60 billion oh. in reserve. That is going to get hit. So, they w- You won't be able to generate the revenues you need for a rainy day fund. You won't get to $60 billion, right. anything close. Uh, $13.5 billion would probably be the peak. How much, is, how, much is he putting, how much is he proposed to put in this? Another year? 4 or $5 billion. There's $8 billion there now, and he wants to put another $5 billion in to, to raise it to its constitutional limit of $13.5 billion. Which means he'll negotiate and settle for, what, like half, three-fifths of that? Yeah, I mean, I yeah. think th- uh, he's got a new pro tem, I mean, I'm sorry, a new, yeah, new pro tem, Tony Atkins, different right. than Kevin DeLeon. I think that, uh, we'll see, she should be more, I think she might be more, I'm predicting, more amenable to fiscal sanity, if right. you will. Mm-hmm. But even that 3 to $5 billion will not be Enough. No, that's three to five billion, David. And what's the general fund going to be? One hundred and thirty. One hundred and thirty billion. So, what percentage is that, that we're actually putting away? Three percent. What is that? Three times thirteen? Yeah. Doesn't quite do it, does yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, they're not even close. You need, you need, uh, in a world where the revenues will drop fifteen percent mm-hmm. per year for three years, you need an enormous amount of money in the rainy day fund, which is it. I'm just saying, Bill. The only way we're helping elect people who are financially literate. They didn't understand this stuff before, but we've helped elect people who do understand this math. They know at some point they have to address the cost pressures. You you just have to. You can't put away enough money. Right. So I like to play uh, a what if with when I talk to California audiences, and that what if is what if Arnold Schwarzenegger had run on the recall as an independent? Would he have been elected? Probably. I, my answer is probably. Yeah. Then how would he have governed as an independent? Probably the same as he did, right? Probably the same. So, David Crane, do you see somebody coming along in the next 10, 20 years who can do what Schwarzenegger did, jump into a recall and have his background, his his resources, but just his charisma? Can you see another opportunity coming up like that, or was that really a once-in-a-lifetime thing? Well, yeah, I could, um, because people still pay a lot of attention to who the governor is and celebrities. You know, there have been two people elected to the governor's office who had never run for office before who won. Ronald Reagan and Arnold Schwarzenegger. So it takes, you know, a George Clooney name. You know, those people get elected, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But it would be, in my view, uh, at best Pyrrhic and probably not good because 
it's still the legislature. You saw it when Governor Schwarzenegger was there. Thank God we got the political reforms done, which the voters voted in, and getting top two primary on the ballot was a a, a marvelous feat uh, that Governor Schwarzenegger and his chief of staff, Susan Kennedy, made happen. But I don't, if you got, uh, you could get Abe Lincoln in that position. You could put Abe Lincoln in the position of governor in California, and he would not be able to fix the problems unless you had a legislature that had a few more people that would get you over 41 in the assembly and 21 in the Senate. And I just want to remind you again, the Republicans have an enormous amount of influence in that outcome. Right. I guess what I'm looking at, David, is if you're going to have a Democratic governor who is at all times going to be worrying about his or her base, that governor is going to be very loath to want to upset public employees unions. If you have Republicans who in their current state are self-defeating at all times and just cross swords and circular firing squad, they're not going to get elected. So you can make the argument that if you really want serious reform, a paradigm change in Sacramento, you're looking at an independent governor. Yeah, I don't think so. No. I, I do not think so. The governor doesn't have enough power. Far more important are Democrats right. who are like Raimondo, our shade of Democrat. But it, so, gets, but it gets back to the Arnold situation, David, where it's got to be an independent who, again, like Schwarzenegger, has 95% name recognition and is a celebrity and just run against those guys. What he did in his first year in office. Yeah, I guess that's right. Uh, you know, um, I'm always struck by the fact that a non-celebrity like Gina Raimondo did reform uh, and got the legislature to vote overwhelmingly for an incredibly difficult reform. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the the it was more of an imperative there than it is in a big state like California. So I, I don't know. I don't give individual, I guess on that Tolstoy question, I don't think that there are many mythical characters who can carry too much weight. You know, it's like, like I said, even Abe Lincoln couldn't get, get it done. Even Abe Lincoln as an independent mm-hmm. couldn't get it done unless you have three more of our shade of Democrat or Republican in the Senate. Okay, let's close out on a Tolstoy question then. <laughs> I don't know, as I look at the current field, I don't think I see that individual out there. There's some good people running, but I don't see that gigantic creature out there right now. They all have some concerns for me. But let's talk about the wave, David. What is the next wave coming in California? I believe, now this is, uh, you know, I'm a little bit like a you know, hammer where every problem looks like a nail, and the nail to me is the legislature. The other, the, I have two nails. The other is political philanthropy. Political so, philanthropy. Yeah. So, so um, the, the lesson I learned up in Sacramento, as I mentioned, it was the legislature has the, all the power, and the only people who really pay attention are the special interests mm-hmm. in one form or another. But the math of the elections is incredibly cheap. Right. So, you know, the average candidate for the state senate raises only a million bucks. Under California law, my wife and I can give that candidate nearly $18,000 in direct contributions. So 60 couples giving less than $18,000 can fully finance the average candidate for the state legislature. And once they're there, if you keep supporting them, it's with even with less. The more these legislators are surrounded by people that we consider ourselves a special interest for the general interest, Mm -hmm. surrounded by people who will donate money and protect them and make them as powerful as anybody else in that legislature with money, the more likely it is that they will legislate for the benefit of citizens. I think citizens. I think it's a wave. I mean, we're having a lot of success. Harvard Business School did a study uh, on political reforms, and then they cited the Govern for California model. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it, it can be done elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. I think that's more important than looking for – you're looking for that individual right. who you think can make a really big difference. And uh, I'm looking more for citizens to step up and support people who will do the, the right work. Okay, give me a few benchmarks for success for Governor for California 2018. 
Well, first, we've already had some. And, you know, I mentioned that there are 2,700 bills that they considered last year. There are a number of bills that didn't get brought up because of legislators that are now that, that in the old days would have been would have not only been brought up, but passed overwhelmingly, by the way, by Democrats and Republicans, uh, both. Um, so that's number one. We've already had success in that regard. Number two was legislation that did pass that got improved that otherwise in the old days would not have uh, been improved. And then the big ones are things like, when will you get pension reform? When will you get education reform where you can dismiss a bad teacher, uh, where you can, you know, grant tenure quickly, et cetera, et cetera? I think that will take four to six years. You need, you need like a, a ramp. So legislators get elected. They now have 12-year term limits in each body, which is very important. When they're first there, they're still just one of 40 in the Senate and one of 80 in the Assembly, and then it's all about them getting more power. So to me, the way I will measure our success at Government for California is how much more powerful are our legislators getting. And for example, our legislators played a meaningful role in picking the latest pro tem. That's very powerful. Right. So it's, it's a little bit more like running a business where you're looking for things that you're measuring along the way. The big reforms, though, won't show up for a few more years. Okay, final, final question. I promise you've been looking at state government for 15 years now. What's your state of mind right now? Are you bearish, bullish, in between? Uh, I am bullish, but that's because I believe we don't have a choice. You, know, you remember in the Declaration of Independence, the last line is, is the founders saying we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our honor to what we've created here. I mean, they use different language, but they pledge everything to what they created. And in our democracy, in the absence of a revolution, we are governed by the 120 people in the legislature plus the governor. So I don't feel like I have a choice but to be bullish because if you don't pay attention to these things, if people don't get involved, if there isn't this wave of political philanthropy and more things like that, then the vacuum will be filled by bad people and we will have a problem like we already have had a governance problem. So I'm bullish. I believe people are going to recognize states are where the action is. Uh, and if they get involved, they can take power away from the special interests and govern for the general interest. Good stuff. David Crate, I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. I did, too. You've been listening to Area 45, a Hoover Institution podcast on the policy avenues available to the 45th president of the United States, and in this case, the 39th governor of California, Jerry Brown. If you've been enjoying Area 45, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you wouldn't mind, please spread the word. Get your friends to have a listen. The Hoover Institution is online at www.hoover.org. And while you're there, check out the latest edition of Eureka, our quarterly look at California and policy matters. You'll find a column there by David Crane on the need for licensing reform in California. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at HooverInst. That's at Hoover, I-N-S-T. David Crane is on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at David G. That's G as in golf, at David G. Crane. Also, you, I advise you to go check out Govern for California, and the website for that is www.governforcalifornia.org. David, can they sign up for your emails when they're there? Yes, I think they can. They can send something there, and we'll get them on the list. When's your next email coming out? Uh, I do usually once a week. What's the topic? Can you give us a I haven't there? decided yet. Well, this morning I was drafting one on whether or not there's truly such a thing as a progressive in California because it's the big debate in my party. Like, you know, you're either progressive or you're not. But um, I've never seen – most of the Democrats I know in California are quite regressive. It's more about that subject. Interesting stuff. Okay. I look forward to it. So go to Governor for California sign up for it, folks. For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. We'll be back soon with another installment of Area 45. Until then, take care. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more podcasts from the Hoover Institution, please visit hoover.org or Hoover's channels on iTunes, SoundCloud, 
or Stitcher. I'm Chris Dower for the Hoover Institution. Thanks for listening.